Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Elisa Razola is a former Spanish footballer who last played as a goalkeeper for PSV of the Eredivisie Frauen. In Spain, she has represented clubs such as FC Barcelona and Real Sociedad in Liga F, and she has also played for the Spanish national youth teams. Elisa Razola is this week's guest on the podcast. Since retiring from her professional career, she has started a new one in coaching footballers that plays in the biggest European clubs. In this episode, she speaks about her years as a footballer and why she became a goalkeeper. At the same time, she also gives her view on what is happening within the Spanish national team and the federation in her native country. We also talk about how her former experience as a goalkeeper can help her now when she privately coaches and analyzes players like Lena Oberdorf and Daniel van der Donk. You are listening to Their Pitch and this is the Eli Zarazola episode. We're back with a new episode, and today we have Ellie Sarasola on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm great. How are you guys? I'm I'm doing great. You actually joined us this summer, where I think I might have overslept on that specific episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but welcome back, and it's it's fun to have you on. It was an intense tournament. It's okay. We all get it. Yeah, it was uh, every single day. Ellie, I hope I did not pronounce your name too wrong, but no, no, it was actually it was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's pronounced Ellie Sarasola, so it was uh, it was one one of the best I've heard. So yes. good. I think I was Spanish in my last life. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ellie, we we do have a quote from somebody who knows you very well. Mia is going to play that for you, and you are going to have to guess who it is. Okay. And we're doing it a little different this time for people who are listening. It's uh, I usually read the quote, but this time it's a sound clip. So it might be a little bit easier for you to kind of distinguish the voice, if not. I hope so. <laughs> Let's do it. So what makes Ailey the right person for her company? Well, first of all, she's a lovely person. I really like the way that she's looking into life, how she's behaving herself when she's around other people she's very kind polite that's what i like first of all i'm looking into the human side of a person that works with us and then second of all it's the inside part of the job like the way that she looks into details also when she was playing that's what caught my eye because one day i was a guest uh speaker and also guest coach trainer Uh, at PSV when she she was still playing as a goalkeeper. And she caught my eye because the way that she approached the exercises that I adjusted through a vintage vision, that's what caught my eye. The intelligence that she has to gather information and like process the information into a certain action. That's something that really fits the way that we're looking into football. Um, and from that moment on, I knew that she was somebody who I would like to add to my coaching stuff. And then two years later, she approached me if it was still possible to be added to Vantage. And then we had a conversation. And after the first conversation, conversation I already knew that she was the one who should be added to to our coaching stuff so i'm very happy with her as a human and also the inside part of the job which is important so in general i'm very happy to have Ellie on board it's not bad when your boss talks about you like that eh? <laughs> i know i i just thought that um you know it was very long and and descriptive so 
I was happy to get that quote. Hope you were too. Yeah, no, obviously. Uh, and Patrick and I, it, it's funny because, I mean, a lot of people are not going to know who he is. It's, it's, uh, Patrick Wurst. He's, he's my boss. He's the owner of Vintage, the company. Uh, he doesn't like it when I say that he's my boss, but I mean, he's the owner of the company. So yes. Um, and no, we also, we talk a lot about football, obviously, but also we talk about, about life and about how, how we see things in life and stuff like that. So, uh, we have, I think we have a special relationship as well. Ellie, I want to talk to you about, because you're going to talk about Vantage and what you what you're doing today after your you know your footballing career with with Mia, but but I want to talk to you about your your football career. You started out playing professionally when you were 16, right? Mm-hmm. That's quite early. Quite young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very early. And actually, it's funny because uh, I didn't start playing as a goalkeeper until I was 14. So uh, only two years in, I made my debut for Real Sociedad here in, in Spain as a goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, that was pretty premature. And I feel like football back then was different than, than it is now. Women's football. So a lot of younger players, like as, as soon as you were a little bit, you know, a little bit better than, than other players, uh, they would like bring you up and, and the level was different and, and professionalism was different. So, so things were not as they are now. Now you see some kids make their debuts at like 16 and you were like, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. But yeah, things are different now. Like the level is different. The, the strength level is different. The quality is different. So, so yeah, it was different times, but yeah, it was, it was quite early on. And what made you kind of fall in love with the sport? I actually, I can't like, all I remember when I was a kid was walking around with a football. Like that's uh, people here in my neighborhood knew me like the girl who played football in school. I was the only girl who played football. I was like the girl attached to a football. And I think a lot of people of my generation and older uh, recognize these kind of stories because uh, there were not as many women or girls playing football back then. Now, sometimes I walk through the park where I grew up and I see a, a lot of girls playing football and I'm like, holy shit, like how things have changed. Uh, but I just... I just remember loving football from the very beginning and just doing everything possible for, for me to become a football player. So I can't really tell you that moment that I was like, Oh my God, like, uh, yes, it just clicked. No, it was, it was always football. It was always football. Yeah. I used to, um, I think, I think it's funny that you say that because I kind of relate to it. When I was a kid, I would always, I think there's a picture of me when I'm three years old where I'm holding two footballs in my hands and I'm like super smiley about it. Um, and my mom actually told me this story when I was, she, well, she tells it all the time, but she knew I was going to play football when I was in her belly because she had an, she didn't smoke. She did, she did not smoke, but she had an ashtray on her, on her, on her belly. And all of a sudden it just flew right off her because I was kicking it. So she's like, yeah, she's, she's going to be into the sport in one way or another. So yeah, I have a funny story too because, uh, the same park that I just talked about where I grew up playing football. Uh, the night before I was born, my mom was walking through the park and, uh, a group of kids were playing football and they kicked the ball into her belly. And, uh, my mom was like nine months pregnant. So it was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And then the next morning, like that same night she went into labor the next morning I was born. So it was like same thing, you know, like it was, it was just meant to be from, from before I was born. So yeah, that's, that's always a funny story too. Yeah. That's quite similar. Actually. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you just told me that two years before you went professional is when you started playing as a goalkeeper. What made you kind of like switch positions and, and what were you playing before that? Uh, <laughs> I played a lot of, a lot of positions. Uh, I played as a striker, uh, when I was younger with, uh, when I was playing with the boys, I played as a winger. And then, uh, when I started playing with girls at the age of, I guess, uh, 12, 13 or so, uh, I started playing as a center back because I, w- I was quite big. Like I'm not a huge girl, but I was, I'm 170. Uh, but I was the same height when I was like 12. So I, I, I grew quite quickly. So I was, I was big and they wanted me to in that position also because I was quite strong. Um, but then just messing around one day at training, um, I got on the goal and I guess I was just not afraid of just like diving to the balls and, and getting the hit by the ball basically. So. The, um, one of the guys from the club that I used to play at, Añola, that's, that was my, my uh, first uh, amateur club. 
he was like, oh, this, this girl actually knows how to do this. So he was like, maybe we need to try her on the goal sometimes. So they actually started putting me on the goal in some games because I was better than the goalkeeper we had. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to play. Please don't do this to me. I want to, I want to score goals. I want to be, you know, like the person who actually uh, wins the games and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when the transition came into actually playing like seven v seven to actually play, uh, 11 against 11 with, uh, I guess, 14 plus year olds, uh, they told me, okay, we have two options. The club had like a, a national level team and like a regional level team. So they were like, if you want to play as a, if you want to try to play as a goalkeeper, you can join the, the first team, like the national level team. And if you don't and you want to keep going as a, as a field player, then you have to play with the second team. So I thought about it and I was like, I, I talked to my dad and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, I talked to the, to the guy in the club. Um, uh, he, he passed away a couple of years ago, but, but he's the reason why I, I got to my football career where I got to. So I always be thankful, but I also talked to him and he was like, yeah, uh, maybe you should try it because I think it's good for you. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll try one year, one year trial and that's it. And then we see how it goes. And in that one year, I think I got called to like the regional team for the Basque country. I got called for like tryouts for the under 17s national team in uh, uh, Spain. So everything happened like super quickly, crazy quick. Like I don't, I, if I look back, I don't even understand how that happened because a girl who didn't have any experience playing as a goalkeeper just, they always say that goalkeepers are crazy. I think that might be true because <laughs> this is just, uh, I guess I was crazy enough to get myself on the goal. Yeah. That's, that's actually quite a fun story, but, but that, that goalkeeping also got you to Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. Again, quite, quite quickly. I played uh, for a couple of years, uh, at Real Sociedad, who it's also not the team that it, that it is now, because back then we were just kind of like trying to fight to stay in the in first division. Um, and then I was already playing under 17s and under 19s national team, I think. So, so Barcelona, um, or I caught Barcelona's eye. And, uh, and yeah, when I was 18, I, I went there. Yeah. And it's, um, how, how was Barcelona back then? Because uh, obviously we know Barcelona today, but how was it back in the days? It was nothing to do with what it is now. I remember I played it for three years. It, it was 2009 to 2012. And, um, in the beginning, we, I think we trained at the actual, um, sports complex of Barcelona once or twice a week. I can't remember. And the other days we trained at a horrible, horrible natural, quote unquote, natural grass, uh, uh pitch in L'Hospital de Llobregat, which is like near, uh, just in the outskirts of Barcelona. And it was, yeah. Not the same at all. Um, we used to change in like, you know, when, when they're doing, I don't know what the name is in English, actually. I can't remember what, you know, you know, when they're like doing, um, um, when they're building a building or something and they have these like little, little metal buildings for the, for the workers to just like kind of like have, uh, have rest, have coffee and stuff like that. They had those things set up outside, uh, for us to shower there. So we had to actually run after training because if somebody would stay in the shower longer, uh, we would have to shower with cold water in the winter. So that, that was the situation back there. That was, that was, that was the first couple of years. And by the third year, uh, which is when we won the first championship, uh, things were a little bit better already. Uh, we were already in the sports complex and it was a little bit more, you know, professional, not, not super professional, but it was a little bit better. But yeah, nothing to do with what, what it is now. Like also, I mean, not to talk about money that much because you can't compare, but yeah, we were barely making any money. Uh, people had to work on the side. I was studying on the side, obviously. Um, so. Yeah, completely different. Did you see the potential of Barcelona even back then to how it is today? Or was it just like, is it just complete night and day and not? No, no, I did. I did see. I did see it. Also, they had already started with like the academy teams. Uh, and now they have like a hundred teams over there, but they had already started, you know, to have certain structure within the club. And, and I knew that the club wanted to get far, but it was kind of like a slow process. Uh, a couple of years before I got there, 
they actually uh, kicked out the coach, put a new coach in, and they said, okay, well, we don't care what you do, but you need to like clean this up and we need to start from the bottom up. So they actually got relegated to the second division and then they went up to first division again and started building. And that's a couple of years later, I got there. So it was already in the building process. Um, and like I said, we won our first championship, like my last year. So it was like getting the signings got better, trainings got better. So everything started slowly moving forward, but obviously nowhere near what it is right now. Why do you think they are so successful today? Well, I think because they believed that, uh, women's football was a viable business because they said, okay, uh, we can get, not we can get something from here, but actually we can be, the best in the world in another category as well, because they decided to invest money into it and do things well and start, you know, the process of building something from the bottom up. And in the end, it's, it sucks that it's all about money, but it's all about money. If you don't invest money, if you don't invest in good coaches, if you don't invest in good infrastructure, in good marketing as well, uh, you're never going to get where, where Barcelona is right now. So I think huge investment on their part in believing that women's football could be something. I think that's that's what made it work. And then you moved on from, from Spain uh, to play in the U.S., but you actually played your last, the last years of your career, you played played in the Netherlands. Yes, I did. Why Why would, why would did you go to, to, to play for, for Ajax and PSV? Because obviously they're, they're, big, they're very big clubs on the men's side, but they're not as out there on the women's side. Yeah. Um, funny story as well. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was, I'm full of funny stories. I'm, uh, I lived in America, right? And I, I, I was there for three years. I played college in South Carolina, the college of Charleston. And then my last year, I, I broke my thumb. So I couldn't finish my season. And then after that, I was like, okay, I want to go back to playing football, but obviously you only have four years to play over there. So at some point you can't keep playing college. So I said, fine, either I play in America, which is almost impossible, also coming from a small uh, school, or I go back to Europe. And I didn't want to go back to Spain because I I don't have anything against the Spanish league or anything, but I wanted to travel. I was uh, 20, well, I was 24 or something. And I, I said, okay, I want to I wanna travel. I want to see more places. I didn't have an agent. So what I did was look at basically all the clubs in the bigger leagues in Europe and also in Australia because I thought, oh, that could be a nice adventure. And I just sent emails. I just said, hey, this is me. I played in these places. This is my resume. Um, and this is a video of my highlights of like me as a player. And from the, I don't know, maybe I sent 40 emails, maybe like uh, 30 got rejected because I had the wrong email because I just looked online where where it was. And then one of the clubs that got back to me was, was Ajax. And they were like, uh, well, actually, we are uh, looking for a goalkeeper and it's pretty... Because this was like July. So I was very late in the game at this point because preseason was already almost started. They're like, yeah, uh, we, we need a, a goalkeeper. So how about you come over for a trial week and then we decide if uh, we want to keep you or not. And I was like, sure, let's do it. So I just like took everything I had and I just <laughs> went to Amsterdam for a trial week and then... uh and yeah, and I was, mind you, I was very out of shape because I had been injured for a while and I hadn't played football for almost a year. So, uh, they had a good eye, I guess, or they, they believed in me because I was not, I was not in good shape. Um, and they said, yeah, we want you to stay. And, and I, and I stayed. That was basically it. Yeah. How, how would, you, how would you describe the, the league in the Netherlands? It is, I have a complicated relationship with, with the league in the Netherlands because, uh, when I got there, it was actually not bad at all. Uh, they had just gotten separated from the, they used to have the Bene League with uh, Belgium, but they decided to, to go solo. Um, and there weren't a lot of teams, but obviously it's a very small country. So you don't really have a lot of people and, and there, there's not a lot of money in the men's football either for clubs to actually have women's football uh, teams and actually put money into it, except yeah, Ajax and PSV. Um, so in the beginning, I was like, okay, well, we'll see this, you know, we'll, we'll test the waters. And, and it was pretty okay. And I saw like a little bit of a curve going up in, in the level and the kind of investment and the kind of like interest that it was bringing. And then I was like, okay, 20, um, 2017 euros. Uh, perfect. Holland, the Netherlands wins the euros. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And then nothing happened. And then it kind of stalled. 
And it almost got worse because obviously the, the players who were playing in the Netherlands who were good left the country because uh, people saw them in the biggest stage in football, basically. And then the people who stayed were, yeah, it was good players, but not with the stars that, that were there before. And the federation didn't really put on an investment or said, okay, this is kind of like a stepping stone to go forward. And it kind of like... It kind of got worse for a couple of years, and I was like, "What? What the hell is happening here?" As you like, you see, and I and I actually got kind of pissed off this this year because I was in England watching the Euros, and then a couple of days after the Euros were done and England won the Euros, it was like all the clubs in England had like sold out stadiums. Uh, it was incredible. Everything got crazy in England, and I was like, "This was such a missed opportunity in the Netherlands to do something," and I, I am so pissed off about that. And, and to, and, and about the federation in general for not like getting their shit together when they, when they should have. Um, so yeah, I have like a love hate relationship at the moment with the, <laughs> with the league, but it is getting better now. And they're, they're like a couple of years ago, they, they looked for, uh, investors. They have sponsorship deals. They have more games on TV. So, so it is getting better again. Why did you decide to quit your career as a football player? My body was done. Yeah, I, it, it had been, it had been a lot of years of just like diving on the ground and on bad football fields. And, and I, when I started playing football, it wasn't like now, like we talked about earlier. I didn't see a gym until I was like 20 almost. Uh, so, you know, your, your physical state is not the same as the kids now that, yeah, they're, they're going to the gym uh, twice a week, three times a week. They're doing uh, pre activation exercises and that kind of stuff. So I, my body was completely done. I couldn't keep up the, the pace anymore. Um, my back hurt, my legs hurt, my, I broke in basically everything in my, in my hand. <laughs> and I also mentally, I was, I was, I was also mentally tired. It was taking me more effort to actually go to games and trainings than, than the satisfaction that it was bringing me. So, so yeah, I was like, I'm done. And I, and I was at peace with it and I'm still happy that I did it, even though sometimes I miss it, but I, I don't regret it. I, I respect that. As I told you after yesterday's training, I I I, re- I 100% respect it because I have bruises all over my leg today and it hurts. Yeah. So I respect it. Sometimes after like the last couple of trainings of the season um at at Pace Bay we had uh I really like my my goalkeeper coach. He was very young and he was very fun. Uh Damien and uh sometimes in the last couple of trainings, he said, okay, whoever, like field players, if you want to join a goalkeeper training, please do. You can just do it for fun. And the couple of girls that actually did it, uh, first of all, they died during training because they're tough. Like we don't run, but we actually like, it is explosive. It's, it's hard. And then, the, and then for the next week, they were super sore and they would come, Oh my God, Ellie, like you're right. This is harder than it seems. And I'm like, yeah, I told you. What do you think? They were here just like, uh, eating popcorn and on the field. It's actually, it's harder than it seems. Yeah. Cause you get those little, you get those, I think, as you say, very explosive moments, but you get those spurs of a game. You, you're not doing it for 90 minutes, but when you're doing it for two, three minutes, it's it's high intensity for those minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. And then you get a little bit break and then it's high intense again. And also during the game is very mentally draining as well, would you say? Because, yeah, maybe you don't have anything to do in 90 minutes, but then you had a ball in the 87th and then you had to stop it and you had to be sharp. So it's it's not... It's not as chill as it seems for for some people. Yeah, I, I played as a goalkeeper when I was a kid. And I remember when, when there were games where we were dominant, I would just stand like this and I would face the I would face like my back towards the field and I would talk to like the people that were there. And, I, and they were like, a ball coming out. I, I would be like, what? But yeah, so you have to be very sharp all the time. I did not have the mentality for it. <laughs> you are from Spain and mm-hmm. you, I think... You, if anyone knows how, how the Spanish Federation works or how, you know, Spanish football works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, to put it lightly, there's some difficulties right now <laughs> with, with the Federation. And that's to put it very lightly. Yeah. Um, between the president, coach and players. Um, what, what can be said about this situation? Would you say? I think these, what's happening right now says a lot about the, how the Federation works. And how it has been working for many, many years. Uh, what, what people outside of Spain and so people inside of Spain also need to realize is that since, uh, 1988, there have been two coaches. 
in the Spanish national team, two coaches. I think um, the first time that the Spanish national team played a official game was in 1980. Uh, so total, we've had three coaches. Um, the federation, uh, since the coach that started at 88, Nacho Quereda, uh, who was also my coach under 17s and under 18s, under 19, sorry, uh, the federation has never kicked out a coach until like by themselves saying, okay, low performance, we need something new. They've never done that. It's been twice that the players have had to actually say, this is enough. We need something new. The first time was, uh, 2015 after the World Cup because yeah. The players and everybody expected more from Spain because it was ridiculous what happened in Canada, and uh, and then the federation said, okay, uh, fine, we'll do it. Or actually, he stepped aside, and now we come to the same kind of problem where you have a coach who's been there for I don't know what seven years or something like that has been Jorge Vilda, uh, the coach, and there has been for the amount of. Um, youth tournaments that Spain has won for the amount of talent that Spain has. Spain should have already been in a final of a big tournament, at least. And I understand the players. I mean, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not training. I'm not seeing the trainings. I don't know what's happening. I'm not at halftime. I don't know what happens before the games, but something is not working. Something is really not working. So why not change? There's, we're wasting a generation of players. Because the coach doesn't want to go because it's a comfortable position. And because the president of the federation is friends with the coach and is not going to kick him out. And what happened with the last coach was the same. There, it's like the, in the, it sounds horrible, but it's very political. And the closer you are to the president, then the better position you're going to get in the federation. It's, it, that's just how it works there. And it's very upsetting to a lot of people. And I can understand that it's very upsetting to the players because they're the ones working every single day to actually go to tournaments, taking time out of their families, taking time out of out of everything, going on vacation because the seasons are super long. And then you get there and you get nothing because there's not the the the, the quality is not there. So yeah, to put it lightly, there's some issues, yes. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's very to put it lightly. And you're talking about wasting a generation and and for people who are listening, this generation that's being wasted, it's players such as Alexia Poteas, uh, Mapilion, Onabatia, um, Patri. Mm-hmm. There's so, so many players that are being Sandra Panios in goal. There's yeah. so many players that are, that are being wasted. And I, I would argue for the fact that winning the Ballon d'Or, you, you deserve. <laughs> You deserve so much better just by being the best player in the world, as well as being some of the best players on a team that's on the best team in the world, you know? Yeah. So I, I missed Aitana Bonmati, my fault. But there's there's so many good players. Yeah, and also not only this generation, but the, the generation coming after this one is also coming strong. So we are... We're doing something right in Spain. We're making good players and players are training well in clubs and clubs are doing well. And, you know, the level of the, of the league is, is going up and it's pretty good. And it's just not reflected at the national team level, which is very, very upsetting. Do you think that we are going to see a change? We're, we're, I think we're going to have to, it's going to, it's going to have to happen. I don't know how. Um, I mean, we've seen the couple of games that the, the, the national team has played without the girls who said that they were not going to go, uh, unless something changed. And again, they're performing. They're good players. They're, there's quality. So, um, it doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter who goes. Of course, like you have the, the players that you mentioned, it's incredible players that, that can win big tournaments and they have at the club level won big tournaments. Um, but yeah, I really hope that there is change because the, the, there has to be. Because if not, we're going to be more focused about the fact that, oh, uh, there's a feud between the federation and players in Spain and la, 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 instead of actually, okay, Spain is one of the best, um, football makers in the world and uh and we're not getting to where we need to be i I spoke to to a spanish journalist maria ticas not too long ago and she told me that this would never ever happen on the men's side 
Yeah, of course. But that you see that in every single immense pool that happens all the time. In every, it doesn't matter if it's national team. It doesn't matter if it's in, in club level. It happens all the time. You don't bring results. You're out. That's, that's just how it is. And, and apparently that's not the case in the, in the Spanish national team. I, I don't know why. I don't know if women's football is not important enough. I don't know. It, I just, they make it sound that, yeah, we're investing so much and, and we want it so much. Uh, we want to also, there's, I don't know, because there's also problems with the national team. I mean, sorry, with the federation and the league and there's feuds there also and about TV rights and whatnot. And it's all a big, big mess. And so I feel like they just all need to get their shit together a little bit because everybody's thinking about themselves and about their pockets and about who is in charge. And in the end, what we're doing is we're harming the girls and we're harming the game and we're harming the development of women's football. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it sucks. Yeah, I have to ask you a question because I've been thinking about this so much lately. Uh, not just because of of the situation in um, in the national team and and with the federation, but it's it also seems that Spanish football fans are very divided in this question, and it's about two clubs. Like, if you support Barcelona, then you support these players and what they are trying to achieve with. The, saying that they don't want to be a part of the national team if change doesn't happen. But then you have, because it's like you said, you just said it yourself. They played with mostly uh, Real Madrid players, of course, other players from other clubs as well. But they they managed to play 1-1 versus Sweden and they managed to beat the US. So what's, what's the thing with this fan culture? With Real Madrid and Barcelona, I I, I genuinely want to kn- to know from someone who comes from Spain because I I tried to like approach it and and the fans uh, on social medias, but uh, for me it's just okay. This is just about Real Madrid or Barcelona, not about the national team. If you get what I I'm trying to say. There is a lot of history in Spain, also in politics and in Catalonia and the rest of Spain and, you know, Barcelona and Barcelona getting into politics as well and saying that they want independence and Real Madrid being obviously like from uh, Spain, from the capital. A lot of people think that, um, you know, Real Madrid, because it's Madrid and it's like the team of Spain, uh, it's more linked to the federation uh, and Barcelona is a little bit more of an outlaw and kind of like do whatever they want. Same thing happened with like uh, in the Basque country with uh, where I'm from with uh, Real Sociedad and Bilbao and that kind of that kind of stuff. But there were also rumors that um, and I don't know if this is true or not. I have no idea, but I also read that it is possible that uh, Real Madrid actually told their players that they're not allowed to say that they don't want to go to the national team. I don't know if this is true or not. And then maybe later on, more players were going to say, okay, we also don't agree with this. So I don't exactly know what's happening there. I just, nobody, if you're not inside, you really don't know. Um, but yeah, in the fan culture, uh, it's a little bit also, it's a little bit political as well. So there's, there's it's, it's, it's all, <laughs> we are, we're an interesting country with lots of different cultures and points of view. So, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it doesn't. It sort of, it just makes me like, okay, so, so what I'm trying to learn and read um, about Spain is like, yeah, you just say the same things uh, that I pick up or, when reading reading about it, but I mean it's it's a lot. I mean you you know that football is a very passionate sport among among the fans, but you can really feel the hate yeah. uh, between. Uh, that's to put it nicely, I think, uh, between uh, these these um, f- fan groups. Yeah, I mean it goes it goes deeper than football. It's obviously football also because they're obviously historically the best two teams in the league, uh, but there's a lot of politics involved in it as well. Yeah, to be continued with with this. Uh, I I just want to say that I don't think, I mean, media and people around we need to we need to talk about this uh, because it's it's so easy now. I feel that okay, they did two games Definitely. very well, uh, and then mm-hmm. we, we need to keep talking about it because if not, we we don't help the situation at all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I am, um, like I said, I have no idea what's going to happen. I hope it gets 
solved in some way, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy what's happening. Speaking about the craziness that's going on in Spain, do you live in Amsterdam right now, right? The Netherlands. I do, yes, I do. Would you ever move back to Spain? That is a good question. Um, why not? I mean, potentially. Like, I've never... I... I never tie myself to a place, uh, also with the work with that I do right now. I have the freedom to go wherever I want, basically. Um, cause I have players in different countries and, and I don't need to be at an office and I don't need to, you know, so I can work from whatever. I'm, I'm in Spain right now, for example, uh, visiting my family because I have time and, uh, and I can do it. So, uh, I don't, I don't answering your question. I don't know, but potentially. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't say no, but I also don't say no to moving to England or moving to, France or well maybe maybe not France I don't know but at Norway Sweden I don't know it's uh it's all you know it's a big world you never know and with that being said we're gonna move on to football analysis ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, and. Let's just start with the fact because I were, I want to go back to something Patrick uh, said in his quote. Um, he's talking about the vantage way, uh, approach or philosophy. Let's just explain that. Well, we, we believe that football is more than just like passing the ball and going from stage A to stage B, you know, like, uh, we believe that football starts in your brain and that's where everything happens. Your feet are just the tools to play the game. Um, so the vantage way is the, the brain way. I guess we, we could say it in, in short. Like we focused a lot of on scanning, on nonverbal communication, on body positioning. Those are the three things that we focus the most. Um, but yeah, we, we pick up on what well, he was talking about me in, um, when he came to our training was uh, it, it was funny because he made a he just adjusted a training and then he saw that i was performing better in that training or doing things better that for example midfielder so he was like what the hell this girl is a she's a goalkeeper what, what's happening here how is she doing that so that's why she picked up uh, he picked up on me uh kind of quickly and that's kind of what we look into players as well like we it's not like we cannot work with every player, but we also look for specific things in, in players, certain football intelligence and certain things that we can see, oh, this person actually does something because they see something or they make a decision based on something that they have seen before. So we work a lot on the decision-making process. So in the end, the player can play easier. Like we, in the end, I always tell my players, I just want to make your life easier. Because you're making your life more complicated by closing your body, not looking. You don't know what's around you. You get nervous, you get the ball, and then you don't know what to do with it. So the moment that you actually gather information before you receive the ball, you're more relaxed. And then you have more time than you think to actually make a decision. So that's a little bit the way the way that we see football. Are you surprised that um, <clears throat> clubs don't work more uh, with the individual then because obviously it's 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 only 24 hours per day and so and football and anal- analyzing stuff in football uh, it's time consuming but i mean i do think that if we we go deep down into the players that vantage work with we can see differences before and now uh, when you work with them I hope so. so yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think, um, but, but do, do you, are you surprised that clubs aren't more interested in 
thinking football like this with players? I think clubs are interested. I mean, you obviously have different schools of thought in football and some coaches are a little bit more old school and they say that this is like virtue. We don't really, we don't really care about this. Not that many because usually coaches are very, very open to this. Um, and what we always say is that we want to add, not replace because What we try to do is get where clubs can't get because, like you said, it's very time consuming. You have maybe like, uh, I don't know, 25, 27 players in a, in a team or more if you're also with like uh, players from the second team. And then you cannot go into depth that much with every single player that you have because you just don't have the manpower. Even in men's football, like there's too many people. You would have to have a staff of so many people to actually go into such detail with, with the players. So I think. Teams are doing it more and more and they're trying more and more, but there's just like, it's, there's no manpower and it's also very expensive because you need more people and you need more hours and you need, you know, so especially in women's football, what I'm, what I'm working at, uh, they, they, clubs can just, they can't get there. So they, they try and they're interested. And I think, uh, coaches are seeing the value of this more and more and saying, Oh yeah, we can actually implement this in our trainings a little bit, but also not everybody knows how to implement this kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's a growing, uh, subject. I think you said in the beginning as well that not every player, um, could adapt to which we let's just stick with the, the vantage way now that that's our, <laughs> that's yeah, the okay. work name <laughs> on this now. And you said that not every player, uh, aren't possibly. W- we must say that it could pick up on the vantage way of playing football. So when you start work, working with the player, what are your expectations uh, on the individual to adapt to the way you think? I think also, just so we're clear, we could work with every player. We could help every player. Every player could benefit from this uh, unless they don't know how to play football. And that's also why we don't work with amateur football players because we believe you also have to have certain level to actually understand the concepts and apply them. Um, But what we expect from them is just kind of it's hard to explain, but you can you can see how they pick up on things quite quickly, you know, and they they start also, sometimes the first trainings that we do with players are a little bit confusing for them because, yeah, we, we, we make them uncomfortable. Uh, Obi was saying the other day, right on the conversation with you guys that she hates when she's not, uh, getting out of her comfort zone. She hates when she makes mistakes. So we, we put them there, especially with the first couple of trainings because they don't know what to expect because we're using iPads and we're using, they need to call colors and numbers or we're using tennis balls. So they're like, what the hell is this? So in the end, what we try to see there is, okay, is this player also picking up what I'm putting down? You know, like, are they understanding uh, what I'm saying? We ask a lot of questions also during our trainings. It's not so much me telling them what to do, but, or how they, or quote unquote, what they did wrong. But, okay, did you realize something in this action compared to the other one? You know, or did you, do you notice a difference? So we cannot ask them questions to make them think. And then we say, okay, is this person actually understanding, uh, what we're trying to accomplish? And same through analysis, because when we do analysis, we ask them a lot of questions as well. And then if the player is not really seen, like the first time is okay, but after you keep training and, and doing analysis with them, if they don't understand the concepts, then it's going to be hard to actually break through a barrier and get farther. Um, so that's when it, it's hard to actually help them. But the moment that you see that something clicks and they're like, ah, yeah. And then you start seeing them do things on the pitch without thinking. That's when you say, okay, this is working. We're, we're getting there. And then we, you just need to keep evolving because, um, not to use Obi again as an example, but we were talking, uh, last week, I think we were doing analysis and we were like, okay, we need more. We need to get farther. We need to get deeper and we need to do more. And, and, you know, uh, when I saw that she was fourth for the Ballon d'Or, I was like, this is the beginning. We need to get farther. We need to get deeper. This is, uh, we have, we have work to do. Why, when you quit uh, playing yourself, why did you feel that this was something you wanted to do? I had no idea what I wanted to do when I quit football. I was like, am I going to be a football player agent? Am I going to be, am I going to have to do nothing with football? I don't know. I was like, I have no idea. And then Patrick said earlier, uh, you know, that I approach him. We actually lies. We approach each other. <laughs> now it's funny because before I, before I, uh, 
announced my retirement, he he sent me a message and he was like, oh, how you doing? Like, you know, kind of like, are you thinking what are you going to do after football? Not knowing that I was going to quit football then. And I was like, actually, mm, I am uh, quitting football this year. So maybe we should have a conversation. And, um, and then he invited me to Rotterdam to see how he does the training and explain everything to me. Um, and Patrick, I, I always say that he's a visionary and uh, I love the way he thinks and the way his brain works and the plans that he has for the future. Um, and I've always been very, I studied exercise science. So I've always been very intrigued by the human body and biology and physiology and how the body works and, and what happens, uh, connections in the, in the body. I'm, I'm amazed by biology. So, uh, some people think I'm weird. I'm a bit of a nerd. I don't care. It's, it, I think it's freaking amazing. So seeing the way that he wanted to, implement his view on on football and you know create connections between brain and and feet i was like oh this is very interesting and actually when i saw a training i was like this is not that much different from what we do on goalkeeping because we also work with uh, tennis balls and things like that and you're actually trying to adapt your brain to certain things and it's obviously not the same but there were similarities so i was like oh this is actually cool and i had never seen myself as somebody who would be a coach because I mean, maybe a goalkeeper coach, but I don't, I don't like the responsibility of being a coach. I don't like, like sometimes it had to be unfair. I hate unfairness. And I was like, it's, that's just not something for me. And this actually is very cool because you create a relationship with the player. And, and obviously I don't decide if they play or not. So they can come to me and vent and say, Oh, this is shit. Or, um, how can I do this? Or how can I get better? And I'm there for their development, not for the team. So, um, it's very nice when I can see that I can help a player. That's, that's the biggest thing for me in this job to, to help people. When I see that I can help them, that's, I know, <laughs> I know I work for money because I need to eat, but to me, it's all about helping the players and seeing them be grateful also yeah and you you said earlier also that um your work can add something do you see the way the women's game uh is developing at the moment what can add to your work i mean obviously yeah we can I, i always think about this as a symbiotic relationship we can we can help each other a lot um i think as coaching girls to get to that level and it's not because they're girls or women because we work in men's football as well and they make the same mistakes and we help them with the same things this has nothing to do with men's or women's football but help them in another stage of development to get farther and to get better and to make women's football better is is super interesting but also women's football development developing is helping us as well getting more players and being able to reach farther and, and get to more countries and get to, to helping more players. And it's it kind of like, it's like a vicious circle, you know, and in the end also full players making more money is helping us because then they can play for our services. So it's, it's, everything is kind of like a vicious circle. So I think we, we can, we can help each other. And, and this is often something people uh, that listen to this podcast wants to know because we often talk about you know differences between leagues so when you work with players you have player players in different leagues do you take that into consideration and not only in consideration but do you see the differences between playing styles uh in different leagues. I mean, the, the difference between playing stars, playing stars in different leagues, you can see even if, if you don't work uh, in my line of work, like it, it's, it's very obvious. Uh, you know, if you compare England with Spain, you watch games and it's uh, England is a lot more pace, strength, uh, you know, power. Um, and in Spain, it's a lot more, a little bit slower, more technical, more tactical. Um, so obviously you can see it, but in our work, we don't, we don't focus on tactics. We don't focus on, okay, who are you playing against unless they're preparing for an important game. And then we look into things and we say, okay, maybe, I don't know, in defense or attack, or you need to get, uh, move into certain areas to make your life easier. Um, but we, what we work is on the behavior of the player. So 
when I am working with a player and when I do analysis, I just look at what she's doing. I don't look at the ball. I don't look at the opponent. I don't look at the teammate. I just look at her, how she moves, what she does. So I don't care if she's playing with a national team. I don't, I don't care if she's playing at uh, the English league or I don't care if she's playing a Champions League game because I just focus on her behavior. And oftentimes, or most of the time, the behavior is the same, no matter what kind of game it is or which team they play with. So we try to focus on that and make the player itself better, uh, no matter where the player is is playing. I don't know if that makes sense. It it actually does make sense a lot because this is also interesting, and I'm gonna have to tell you that now because I took the Barcelona Innovation Hub uh, tactical mm-hmm. football analysis course last season, and obviously they had. You know, when you started that course, they talked a lot about the Barcelona philosophy and, and the way. And that was the key, the key word in their, um, like philosophy was behavior. Mm-hmm. And you often don't look at anything, but how do we get a player to behave like that one more time? One more time. Repetition, repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, soon enough. The players aren't going to think about how they behave. They are just going to do it when they are put in situation that they recognize. Yeah. And most of, most of the players that we work with also, like we see, like I said, we look for a certain kind of player. Um, and we see that they do things and then they don't even realize that they're doing those things. So then when we work on them also, it's like, Oh, okay. Now, now I get it. The first time they're, they don't do it because they don't even know that they have to, like, they, they do it themselves, like looking, checking behind them before receiving the ball, for example. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then you see it that it becomes a pattern. So it, it doesn't only happen, uh, three times in the game when the ball is coming from a certain distance and they have time, but you actually see that they're checking in short distance when the ball gets reflected, when that kind of stuff, you know, so it becomes a pattern, it becomes a behavior. So that's what we want to change. We want to change the behavior of the player and create a pattern that they don't have to think about. So they'll, so, so their life gets easier on the pitch. Yeah, obviously. Well, it, it's very interesting stuff and we, I'm sure we could talk about this like for hours, but <laughs> we can't do a, a too long of a podcast episode. So, uh, I know that we have got some listeners questions that will add to this conversation. Um, okay. So let's jump into, to those. Sarah1993 wants to know, after playing as a goalkeeper, what from that position can you bring in when coaching outfield players? That's actually an interesting question because I have <laughs> I have had people question me as a coach because they were like, okay, mm, she's a goalkeeper and I'm a midfielder, like what the hell? But um, I always think of goalkeepers as coaches inside of the pitch. So I'm not going to pretend that I know how to play every position and I'm still learning in my job and I'm learning from, from my players and I'm learning from my coworkers, a lot of things. Uh, but I think as a goalkeeper, you you ha- you have to have an understanding of how every position works because you are kind of the the moderator also a little bit you know in inside of the pitch so um i don't know how it is to be a midfielder and coach a striker because i haven't been a midfielder so i don't know but yeah i also have strikers uh shoot against me and I know what a striker needs to do to be able to score a goal so there are a lot of things that I can actually bring from my own experience uh, into into coaching players uh, that I know that a midfielder couldn't bring to a goalkeeper goalkeeper training for example <laughs> I don't know it's like you you have to have an understanding of, of how it works and I think the more that you've played and, and it obviously depends on the goalkeeper as well but I was very involved in my in the team tactics also and, and understanding how the team had to had to work. So yeah, I think that that helps me as a coach as well. Let's move on then. Foot Femme Fan, uh, when you played professionally, did you have a private coach yourself? And if not, uh, and if you were active today, would you have chosen to have one? That's that's also a good question because um, I did not have a a private or personal coach, uh, because I don't think it exists, it existed for uh, women back then. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a little bit different because also now there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of different personal coaches now. Like you have people who focus more on performance, people who focus more on like technical skills. Like we have a, a different approach to, to this and it's a little bit more comprehensive. 
Um, but no, I definitely did not have one. And um, would I would have I used one? Um, depends on the stage of my career. Like I said, it was different times. Um, now everything is a lot more professional. And if you do want to get to the top, you have to do the extra, the extra work. You have to do the extra steps. You, you have to invest time. Uh, back then it wasn't quite like that. I think at some point in my career, I was pretty content where I was, but maybe a little bit later on, funnily enough, when I grew up a little bit, then I probably would have said, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to do more. I want to, I want to learn more. I want to do extra. So, uh, yeah, it depends on what stage, but. If I would have played football now, 100%. Marco wants to know, what's the hardest and the best part about coaching players the way you do? Uh, okay, the hardest part. The, I think the hardest part is a little bit also the fun part because you get to work with players for a certain amount of time and then you kind of have to reinvent yourself and you have to like find new things and get, like I said, get deeper and see more details. And, and you have to be very on point because yeah, if you keep working on the same thing with the, with the players, they're going to be like, okay, yeah, what, what, what are we doing? We're always doing the same thing. And we always, always, always try to not have a single training. That's the same. We always try to vary the exercises because we want to, um, we want the brains we want the brains to work, you know, we want to stimulate players. So, I mean, we train with them once a month. So it's not like I'm training with them every day and every day is different. So it, it's a little bit easier than being a club coach, I guess. Um, but the hard part is just, you know, to get deeper into, and to keep making an impact, I guess. Um, for example, I can imagine that for Patrick, who's been working with people for like five years now, it's, it's, you know, interesting and hard to actually get to, to find new things and to do it in a, in a creative way as well. And the best part, I think I already said earlier, it's just seeing them be grateful and seeing them say, ah, yeah, this, this was, this was great. Like during the Euros, I had a couple of things like, um, I was, and only through analysis because we were in training, obviously during the Euros, but with Obi, uh, we were very on point on like doing analysis and getting, you know, to, to see every detail. And then she was, I remember again, I think it was the game she played against France. We did analysis the day before. And, uh, I was like, okay, you need to start doing things simple because you're trying to like play the, the ball from the midfield to give the, the assist and you're trying to do hard things and you're just losing the ball. You're recovering balls and then you're losing them. So I told her, I want you to play simple, get the ball, play simple. And then she did that in the next game. I believe it was France. And then she played a, an amazing game. And then she came to me and she was like, Oh my God. I did it. I did it. That worked so well. I just, you know, I played easy. It was great. And, and those moments are like when you realize I'm making an impact in this person's career and in this person's life also, because, uh, these are people's livelihoods. So, uh, those are definitely, definitely the best moments. With that being said, we're going to move on to the this or that five questions. And before we started recording, <laughs> I did warn you a little bit. It's supposed to be fast. And if not, I'm out. Okay. Go for it. All right. So a pass followed by clear scan or intuition. Scanning. When watching football, would you rather be live in the stadium or would you rather watch it on TV slash video? On TV slash video. Can I explain? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're already losing. Keep going. Yeah, no, no. No, no, no. You can explain. Explain. No, because sometimes when I go to the football fields, like you can't see, depends where you're sitting. Also, you can't see well. If you're sitting too low, I I can't see football. So sometimes I'd rather actually watch it at home and then see it well. But yeah, I watch the, the women's Euros final at the stadium. I would, I wouldn't change that for the world. So yeah, it, you know, you get my point. Okay. (laughs) You can keep going. Uh, When watching football, would you rather be relaxed? And enjoy it, or are you constantly analyzing? Relax and enjoy it. Club football or national team football? Ooh, um, national team football. All right, and to the to the hard part over here: Spain or the Netherlands? For for football or for what? <laughs> it's just Spain or Nether- or the Netherlands. Oh come on, you're 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 killing me here. Uh, okay, Spain. I had to go with the homeland. That wraps up this episode. Ellie, thank you so much for, for being on here. I enjoyed this a lot, actually. Yeah, me too. I, I had a lot of fun. So uh, whenever you guys want, we can do another one. Yeah, for sure. We should do this every week. Yeah, sounds good. 
<laughs> Even if we don't record it, it's fine. We can just yeah, chat for a bit. For sure, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 